Hello, this is Father Mike Walker of Father Mike's Podcast, Father Mike's Bible Study Podcast, and the Catholic Combine, the pastor of St. Cecilia Catholic Church in Beaverton, Oregon. If you would like more information about the parish or the podcast, please feel free to email me at frmikewalker at gmail.com. And now, today's podcast. The crucifixion of Jesus was believable historically, not just because it's in the gospel and not just because other historians have, have mentioned that, but just the way it happened, uh, I think that it does give credibility. Uh, for example, when Jesus was crucified, he was betrayed by one of his disciples, and all but one ran off and abandoned him. It was just a handful of women and one disciple that was there with him on the cross, or at the cross, at the foot of the cross, and his uh, mother, of course. Also, the fact that the religious institution of the day dropped the ball and didn't respond as they should have. Also, the political situation, because the Romans, uh, they had an opportunity to act justly, and instead they just caved to the mob. And you can kind of see that, yes, it was 2,000 years ago, but really it's not that different when it comes to how people respond to things, even in our own world, uh, that, that, that it kind of shows the messiness of this life and the need that we all have of being restored and the purpose that Jesus went to the cross in the first place. And also when it comes to the resurrection, the resurrection's credible and believable, but for different reasons, because it didn't happen like you would expect. And I wrote about this and put it on the blog on the website if you want to go there. Um, and I talked about it last week, so I won't rehash it. Uh, but just the details and the way that the resurrection happened, it's not something that would have been made up. It's not anything that anyone would have expected. There's a, an additional part to this that I want to talk about as well, and that's that the, the resurrection didn't happen like a Hollywood script. It, it wasn't something that that uh, Hollywood have, would have ever written. You know, it's not like a movie or a novel. Uh, because when Jesus rose from the dead, the first thing that he didn't do is go out and seek revenge. You know, he didn't show up at, at Pontius Pilate's house and say, hey, Pontius, remember me? I'm back. You know, he didn't do that. Uh, he didn't go to Caiaphas, the high priest at the time, and say, hey, Caiaphas, why don't you get those 70 other people in here and let, let's talk about this little trial that you guys had. You know, he didn't do that. He didn't seek revenge. Instead, he went back to his friends and his disciples and reminded them of what he said and what he did and called them back to forgiveness and restoration. And another way to look at it is that Jesus in his earthly ministry fulfilled the will of the Father perfectly. And after his death and resurrection, he continued to fulfill the will of the Father. The whole point of the resurrection was to bring about the fruits of his sacrifice and apply it to the people around him. And that's what he did. And he was doing it in a sense that brought about that restoration that, that the Messiah would do. It was what the promised Messiah would do. And so when Jesus uh, appears to his disciples in the first week, he says to them, peace be with you. Now, we might not fully understand what that means. We might think of peace as, you know, lack of war or something like that, or maybe like the 60s, you know, peace. But that, that's not what he's getting at. 
in, in his setting in his own day and in, in Hebrew as well as the Aramaic that Jesus spoke, that, that word referred to a perfect uh, harmony and relationship between God, one another, and creation. And so in other words, what Jesus is saying to his disciples is, may everything that I was, I was saying I would do through my death and resurrection be applied to you. May you have that peace that only I can give. And so the disciples were receiving that restoration after those traumatic days. And then afterwards, he tells them that they also need to do what he did. You know, and he, he calls them to go out. It's that great commission to, to go out into the world after receiving the Spirit and to bring that forgiveness of sins that, that he commissions them to do. And so that's why he breathes the Holy Spirit on them and says, uh, what sins you forgive are forgiven and what sins you retain are retained. You know, that now they are invited into that resurrected life and the mission and ministry of Jesus himself. Now some may wonder, why is it we celebrate Divine Mercy Weekend on this Sunday, the second week of Easter? And, and to be honest with you, it does sound a bit odd because you would almost expect it during Lent, right? During Lent where we're supposed to repent and get ready for Easter, that we focus on Jesus' mercy and forgiveness. And yes, that's true. And that's why we have, for example, Good Shepherd Sunday in the middle of Lent because it's focusing on who Jesus is as that Good Shepherd, why he came to bring us into his love and mercy. There is a similar feast that we have called the Feast of the Sacred Heart. And the Feast of the Sacred Heart was brought about because people were very pessimistic and they failed to see Jesus as the merciful Savior that he is. And so the merciful, uh, like, Sacred Heart was to demonstrate to the people that, no, you can trust in Jesus, you can come to him, just look at, at his love and that Sacred Heart of his and respond likewise. So Divine Mercy is similar, but it's in the context of Easter. So what this is about is it's saying, okay, the resurrection happened, and now it's being applied in Jesus' merciful bringing together. And, and you see that with the disciples being brought together, and they're being restored, and they're being commissioned to forgive like he forgave them. All right, now we have this story, though, the little story about Thomas that shows up. So... I always feel sorry for Thomas because he gets a bad rap. Um, I always imagine like he's in heaven around the heavenly water cooler and all the people are around there and, and they're saying, you know, hey, there's Doubting Thomas. You know, or he's at the ice cream social in heaven and say, hey, there's Doubting Thomas. And then Thomas is saying, stop it. Stop saying that. It's not fair. Now, to be honest, it's not fair because that was just one thing that happened. And you can see Thomas saying, you know, that the one time... You know, the one time I messed up, and that's all I ever hear. But Thomas was the one when, when Jesus wanted to go to Bethany and raise Lazarus, and they're saying, no, don't do this. The rest of the disciples were saying, no, don't do this because the Jews want to kill you. And, and Thomas was saying, nope, let's go and die with Jesus. You know, and so he was all ready to go. Also, you may have noticed after the resurrection when he wasn't there, well, humanly speaking, I think it's a natural emotion that, that he'd feel left out, that he'd feel a little hurt that he wasn't there when it happened. We don't know why he wasn't there. Um, there are people that speculate on that, but what we do know is he wasn't there. And so when he started hearing all these people saying, yes, Jesus rose, Jesus rose, that he kind of was feeling a little hurt, got a little stubborn, and he, he, he responded like many of us would. Well, I'm, you know what? I don't believe it unless I see it. Unless I put my 
finger in his hands and I put my hand in his side. I'm just not going to believe it. And, and maybe he was coming from a point of frustration or, or feeling left out. So when Jesus does appear, you notice where St. Thomas is the second time. He's there. He came back. That's important because it's natural that we have doubts in this world. It's hard to be a person of faith. But what do you do when you have those doubts? Do you just say, that's it, I have doubts, so therefore I'm going to run off and, and, and not pursue any kind of truth, or I'm not going to look for answers, I'm not going to pray about it, I'm not going to come back to the church and the community and seek, uh, seek the, the risen Lord? Or you could take the response that St. Thomas did, he came back. And after he came back, he was restored. And uh, afterwards, of course, he goes off, uh, tradition has it that he went to India, preached the gospel there, and was martyred his face. So obviously he was a person of faith and conviction, but he needed Jesus to, to bring him back to where he needed to be. And just a question to ask you all, but um, what do you think happened when Jesus appeared and he says, hey Thomas, put your finger into my hands and your hand into my side and know that it is me. Do you think Thomas did that? Now I don't know, I might just hang back and say, I, I can see it's you Jesus, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have doubted. You know, but it's very likely that Thomas actually did what Jesus asked him to do and put his finger in his hands and his hands in his side. And one reason why I think that probably is what happened is because there's something very profound about touching the sacred. Now, let me back up a little bit here. So in the days of King David, they had the Ark of the Covenant, and the Ark of the Covenant was where the presence of God was. And that was being brought into Jerusalem in a procession. And while it was being brought in, it started to lose. The, the Levites were carrying it in, and it started to, to, to wobble, and they thought it was going to drop. And so Uzzah, who wasn't a Levite, went and tried to steady it. But as he did that, he was struck dead because he wasn't a Levite. And, and King David was a little upset about that because he was a little scared. Uh, that Why would God do this? Well, sometimes there's a story that gets relayed, but there's the deeper significance and for whatever reason, not only was Uzzah not a Levite, but that was the sacred. And touching the sacred, there's a certain obligation to do it in a particular way. Uh, we have the commandment that says, do not take the Lord your God's name in vain. You've all heard that, the second commandment. Um, but usually the way we interpret that is, don't cuss. Okay, granted, don't cuss. But that's not the fullness of what that commandment's talking about. It's talking about bearing the sacred name of God. That if we are going to bear his name, we have to do it in a way that, that we are going to recognize the sacredness of it and respond in a, in a particular way. Uh, to give you an example of how this happened, there was a time in Jesus' ministry where there was a woman, she, had, she was hemorrhaging, she was bleeding, and she wanted to be healed. And she recognized the sacred in Jesus. And she thought, if I could just touch him, then I'll be healed. So she went and weaved her way through the crowd and then touched Jesus, and she was healed. And then right after that, Jesus is saying, who touched me? Who touched me? And the disciples are saying, what do you mean who touched you? It's like there are crowds all over the place. Everyone's touching you. But there's a difference, isn't there, between just kind of bumping into Jesus and deliberately recognizing the sacred and touching the sacred like this woman did and the response that came after that. So I think in a similar way, we as Christians, that we should recognize the sacred in Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, 
and respond in a manner that is worthy of his divinity. And this is what happened with Thomas because after he touched him, what did he say? My Lord and my God, right? He recognized the divinity of Jesus and the sacredness of that moment. Now this last week I was talking with someone, just kind of casually talking with them, but um, they made the comment that, you know, well, I, I will never touch the Eucharist, that it's only the priest that can touch the Eucharist. And so my response was, well, well, you are touching the Eucharist, though. You're a body, and when you receive communion, whether you receive in the hand or on the tongue, you're touching Jesus. That's kind of the point. He wanted to give himself to us in a way we could not just see him, but touch him and receive him. You know, that that's part of our touching the sacred. And we don't want to minimize that, and we don't want to, to, to not acknowledge the, the sacred event that we have. But the problem is we can get stuck in autopilot. And as we do that, we just kind of go through the motions. We don't always acknowledge what's really going on. So when we receive the gospel, for example, that's the word of God. We're receiving that, you know. So we're touching the sacred, and we want to acknowledge that and give it its proper reverence. Same thing when it comes to the Eucharist. We are touching the divine when we receive the Eucharist. We want to receive that and give it its proper reverence. But this is the whole point of Jesus demonstrating his resurrection and, and, and the way that he does it in a way that brings us to him and, and restores us in every way and heals us and allows us uh, to be part of his mission. It's the great thing we have as people of faith that, that we get to touch the sacred and enter into it. And so we don't want to minimize that. And so in this second week of Easter or Divine Mercy Sunday, if we have our doubts, that's okay. Everyone has doubts. But, you know, pray about that and, and look into it. Uh, there are good answers to whatever doubts you might have. And if we respond to that as a person of faith and then come back to the Lord and ask him to reveal himself, then he will do what he does. Also, as we come to experience the risen Christ, maybe we can also be like St. Thomas. And after having that sacred moment where he touches us and we touch him, we can say, my Lord and my God. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. May God bless you and be with you as you live out your faith and serve the Lord this week.